love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, it hasn't taken long for our reputation in our new apartment complex to start to circulate. Um, (laughs) We're making friends everywhere we go, apparently. The other night was a great example. This this is not our fault, nor is it necessarily the reputation that I want. So we, I ordered some food, and something that I ordered accidentally came with salami on it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we don't eat salami, but I thought, hey, maybe the pups would like it. They very rarely get a meat treat. Right. So uh, I gave a couple pieces to Howard and Haggis. And Haggis had a good time with it, but Howard immediately threw everything up. Mm-hmm. And then we, we made a mental note, okay, well, we're not going to feed them any more of the meat for humans. So we go to take the pups out, and one of the people who works downstairs, lovely humans that they are, uh, stopped and said hello and asked how Howard was doing. And we were like, well, he's doing good, except he just threw up. We're going outside. Hopefully, uh, he'll feel a little bit better. They were like, oh, no, is everything okay? (laughs) And I blurted out, yeah, we just have to stop feeding him human meat. (laughs) And the look on her face was total shock and actually a little bit of curiosity. (laughs) I thought, hey, we should explain what what that means mm. uh but uh we didn't no i just hope that one of our neighbors doesn't turn up missing because they're going to immediately look at us they sure will. as a prime suspect <laughs> in all fairness they probably would anyway we fit so many profiles and certainly if they saw our interior decor <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah every issue of serial killer magazine very nice is that a shrunken head Hey, I got a question for you. Mm. Did you hear that some guy stole the Mona Lisa right off the wall at the Louvre? No, I, I saw that someone threw a piece of cake at it. I didn't see that. Yeah. When did that happen? I don't know, a while back. Okay, well, this wasn't recently. It was back in 1911. It's been called one of the greatest art thefts in the 20th century. Uh-huh. Without question, though, it was a lot easier to pull this kind of thing off, you know. In 1911? Yeah, 112 years ago. At this time, there was very little security at the Louvre. 
certainly the type of high-tech anti-theft devices that they have, the systems that are in commonplace nowadays in museums around the world today, were not available. In fact, the artwork wasn't even bolted to the walls. No. Somebody literally walked into the Louvre, took the Mona Lisa off the wall, I'm guessing tucked it under their arm and did a little jaunty skirt out the front door. Oh my goodness. It's amazing to think that there was a time like this and that it actually took over a day before anybody noticed it was missing. What? Initially, when they did see that it was missing, they just thought that, uh, well, it's, it's being cleaned. Sure. Someone in charge who was supposed to have moved it, moved it. And that's a logical assumption. But eventually they went, hey, wait a minute. Uh, there's a big space there where the Mona Lisa used to be. And so they reported it stolen. Allegedly, 60 French detectives were put on the case almost immediately. This was taken very seriously. They did everything they could to try to locate the painting, even going as far as closing down the borders of France. Wow. They searched ships and trains that were leaving the country. And they also offered a very substantial reward. Now, here's the weird twist. The first serious suspect that they had Mm -hmm. was Pablo Picasso. (laughs) Really? Yep, that's right. Legendary, iconic cubist Pablo Picasso. See, here's what happened. An art thief who was well known to law enforcement in Paris gave them this tip. He said that it will actually he admitted to stealing some small objects from time to time at the Louvre and then selling them on the black market. He told police that he had sold some artifacts to his dear friend, the artist Pablo Picasso. He didn't say he sold the Mona Lisa to him, but he said, you know, he's collecting stuff. And it was true. Picasso had purchased two Iberian statues from this art thief that the art thief had stolen from the museum. Picasso kept them in a cupboard in his apartment in Paris. Now, the art thief also sold similar items to a guy named Guillaume Apollinaire. And the art thief very quickly turned on him as well. He, he threw both Pablo Picasso and Guillaume Apollinaire under the bus for the reward money that was offered for the missing. Sure. He was just taking a chance. Well, maybe if they have it, then I'll, I'll get the reward money. Heck. So police questions Apollinaire and Picasso. They both appeared before the court. And Picasso, when he was asked if he knew Apollinaire, said he had never seen him before in his life. Interesting. And this was an obvious lie. But by the time the court case had ended, the judge ruled that, yes, both of them had in possession stolen art from the Louvre, but that they did not steal the Mona Lisa, so the case was thrown out. I'm assuming they had to give that shit back. I would hope so. (laughs) So time goes on. Years passed. Eventually, it was discovered that a man named Vincenzo Perugia was the thief. Now, this, of course, officially cleared Picasso and Apollinaire in the court of opinion. So how did Vincenzo Perugia pull off one of the greatest art heists of the 20th century so easily? Well, it was a bit of an inside job because he was actually a worker that was hired to help create thick glass cases to protect the valuable paintings in the Louvre. They were just starting to install these. Oh, and he thought, I should get in there before we install these? Right, exactly. (laughs) So the night before the painting disappeared, he hid in a closet. He was wearing everyday street clothes, but over those clothes, he wore a painter's smock. He stayed in the closet until just before the museum opened. He then left the closet, boldly walked up to the Mona Lisa 
removed it from the wall, wrapped it in his painter's smock, tucked it under his arm and walked out the front door. Wow. Nobody stopped him. So what did he do with it? It had been missing for a couple of years by the time they found out he was responsible. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that much time had gone by. Well, what he did was he just took it to his apartment in Paris and leaned it against the wall behind his door for two years. Okay. And then he moved to Italy. And when he was there, he kept it in his apartment in Italy until he contacted an Italian museum and then tried to sell it to the museum. The curator at the museum hired an expert to authenticate the painting. They then took it into safekeeping once it was determined that it was, in fact, the original Mona Lisa, and they contacted police. And this is how he got arrested in December of 1913. Did he think that it was just, well, this is a different country, so they won't know the Mona Lisa? I don't know. It goes to his motive, I think. There are a couple of choices, a couple of theories about why he did this. The thief himself claimed the reason... Um, that he stole the Mona Lisa was that he believed that Napoleon Bonaparte had stolen the painting from his fellow countrymen in Italy. Okay. And so he was just returning it to its rightful home. But he wanted money for it. But for a price. Uh Uh-huh. There's another theory that a con man named Eduardo de Valfierno was involved. Now, he was known, it was known that he hired an art forger whose name was Yves Chaudron and commissioned him to make copies of the Mona Lisa that he could sell as the original, but only that would only work if the original went missing. Right. So the theory was that uh, you steal this painting and sit on it for a while. I will sell all of these forgeries, and then we'll sell the original down the road. There are a lot of unanswered questions and holes in this theory. It's probably likely that the guy stole it for monetary gain and it just Mm. didn't work out. But we'll probably never know for sure the true motivation other than money behind the theft of the Mona Lisa. But what we do know is that it was returned to the Louvre in January of 1914. I didn't realize it was that long a period that it was gone for. That's bananas. And the strange thing is that prior to its theft, The Mona Lisa was not very well known. It was actually a fairly obscure piece of work outside of the art world. But because it took over two years to investigate the theft and the painting was featured in newspaper articles and magazines constantly all over the globe for that period of time, it turns out that its theft is what's responsible for it being catapulted to its iconic fame today. See, that's incredible. I, That's the kind of thing about history that I love so much is because... To a person who's born in any given year, everything that happened before that year, it's all a mishmash. You know, there's all this information and it can get changed and twisted around. And to me, the regular old, you know, art dum-dum, the (laughs) Mona Lisa's always been famous. It's always been an iconic masterpiece. But, uh, you know, that's the thing about history is that Mm. neat things happen and then, boop, it's changed. People really didn't give a shit about uh, about the Mona Lisa until after it was stolen. In fact, that that may have led to the fact that they didn't notice it was gone for an entire day. They just weren't paying attention. Although it was considered to be a major work of art, it it was one of the lesser known ones Mm. up until that point. Very interesting. I love that stuff. Super interesting. My source material, the Vintage News, NPR and CNN. I love it. 
Also, don't steal things that have cultural importance. It's dangerous and you might ruin it in the process and then you ruin it for everyone. Yeah, I think about him keeping the Mona Lisa just leaned up against his uh, his wall behind his door. Let's say he comes home, he's had a couple of drinks and he stopped at the grocery store to pick up some, some food. Mm-hmm. You know, he's hungry, he's had uh, eight or nine pints and he wants some eggs. And sausages. So he walks through the door inebriated. He's got his arms full of groceries Mm -hmm. and he kicks the door open and he and he puts the handle right through Mona Lisa's face. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that hurts me just thinking about it. Glad that didn't happen. Well, I think about when you and I were at the Dali Museum in St. Petersburg and they were talking about having recently moved and how much it cost to ensure the art for moving it across the street. Literally across the street. And the difference between the care um, taken with those pieces and what this guy (laughs) probably did to get it from France to Italy, you know, he probably just put it under his smock again. Yeah. It pains me. It pains me. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's a-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. The Nobel Prize in Physics in 1922 went to Niels Bohr for his work in early quantum mechanics. When he got the Nobel for his work on the atomic structure and quantum theory, the Carlsberg Brewery gave Bohr a house right next to one of its breweries. And then they installed a beer tap in the house with a pipe going right to the brewery, essentially giving Niels Bohr a lifetime supply of free beer. Michael sent us an email just finished listening to Kat talk about AlphaGal. Having known several people with it, one thing that was a little incorrect in the episode was this. Acupuncture has been proven to help with it, and the individual is able to go back to eating meat if they so desire. I do know some that it didn't work on, but most of the people I know that did this recovered. That's amazing. We also had someone write in uh, from personal experience and talked about aspiration, which is something I did see on the Facebook group that I mentioned as well, mm -hmm. that it doesn't just have to be the consumption of the product. Like, let's say... I uh, have alpha gal and you are cooking up some meat. It could just be from the air and I aspirate the meat juices. I can still have a severe reaction because of that. The beef steam. The beef steam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. even someone mentioned like if uh, fajitas come out at a Mexican restaurant. Oh, yeah, my God. You know, there's that, that yep. aerated steamy meatness. You know, I don't have alpha gal mm. but i still hate sitting next to a person in an italian restaurant if they order fajitas because yeah. then my shirt smells like meat well you know for sure that those aren't going to be good fajitas because you're in an italian restaurant no wonder my shirts always smell better after leaving olive garden <laughs> we got an email from sean at curator at the box of oddities I just finished playing my high school scrimmage, and my mom picks me up from school, and we go grocery shopping. After we are done, my mom's driving by a Wendy's and says, I kind of want to get some Wendy's, but I don't know if I should. Then Kat proceeds to say, Wendy? She took it as a sign, and we drove through and got some Wendy. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> See, that's me, yeah. helping all the time. All the time. Wendy's has a great strawberry salad that I like very much. I don't know if they still do it or not. It's been a while. Also, I love their lemonade. It is clearly the best fast food lemonade there is. It sustained me on our drive from Maine. Are you angling for Wendy's as a sponsor? Is that uh, what, you're, what you're going after here? Or I mean, if they wanted to, I would accept payment in lemonade. <laughs> so Fair enough. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a festive idea for a dinner party. All your guests have to dress like someone or something mentioned in a box of oddities podcast. I'll be there, dressed like a urine-soaked porcupine. This is the Box of Oddities. You know James Randi, right? James Randi. He was a, uh, a magician and then became extremely famous as a paranormal debunker. Right, yes. He was a Canadian-American magician who was also an author and a scientific skeptic. Uh, he was frequently on The Tonight Show with uh, Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like the term debunker, uh, but he, he would accept skeptic. Skeptic, yes. okay. In 1979, James Randi, Dick Smith, Philip Adams, and an unidentified businessman offered a prize to anyone who could prove psychic phenomena in front of Randi. Now, I will start off by saying, first and foremost, people who have a first name as a first and last name, it it confuses me. Sure. And um, I will likely go back and forth between calling him James and Randy. And I apologize. I'm going to try very hard to not do it. <laughs> Call him JR. JR. <laughs> I actually knew a kid when I was in school who was a junior. So they called him JR. That doesn't count. It, it's weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, it's creative. So that counts for me. Anyway. There were a number of contenders, largely water diviners, who came forward, but none were able to prove their claims 
to the independent observers who had offered this reward. Australian Skeptics is a loose confederation of like-minded organizations across Australia that began in 1980. The 1979 contest to see if anyone could prove some sort of psychic phenomena was what really kicked off this organization. Australian Skeptics investigates paranormal and pseudoscientific claims using scientific methodologies. Now, they are not to be confused with Australian Skeptics, Inc., which is based in Sydney and is one of the central organizing groups within Australian Skeptics. Boy, there are... When you peel the onion back. It's even more confusing. In 1989, at a national committee meeting, the aims of Australian skeptics were updated to include the following. To investigate claims of pseudoscientific paranormal and similarly anomalous phenomena from the responsible scientific point of view. To accept explanations and hypotheses about paranormal occurrences only after good evidence, which directly or indirectly supports such hypotheses. To encourage Australians and the Australian news media to adopt a critical attitude towards paranormal claims and to understand that to introduce or to entertain a hypothesis does not constitute confirmation or proof of that hypothesis. To stimulate inquiry for the quest of the truth wherever it leads and to publicize the result of investigations and, where appropriate, draw attention to the possibility of natural and ordinary explanations of such phenomena. And that might be why a lot of people opted out uh, that last feature of the uh, rules. When given the opportunity to prove some sort of psychic phenomena, if you fail, that will be just as widely publicized as if you were to succeed. And so why try? Because, you know, you might get, quote unquote, debunked. Need to pick your battles. That's right. The challenge started in 1979, and it was originally offered uh, $50,000 to any water diviner who was able to demonstrate their powers. But after contributions from various sources over the years, the prize is now up to $100,000 Australian offered to anyone who can demonstrate any form of paranormal or psychic ability unknown to science. Up until 2019, more than 200 claims had been seriously investigated, but none of them produced a positive result. And that's a you know, it's a pretty good trend and might dissuade others from trying. Yeah, yeah. The result of each test is then publicized in The Skeptic, a magazine of Australian skeptics. ASI states that should any contender pass the challenge and be awarded the prize, they will tell the world and give the claimant proper recognition. But they will also tell the world if they've been debunked and that can ruin your water divining business. That's true. Now, that brings us to the Bent Spoon Award. The Bent Spoon Award is an award given by Australian skeptics. It's presented to the perpetrator of the most preposterous piece of paranormal or pseudoscientific piffle. (laughs) Piffle. That makes me laugh. (laughs) It's a great word. Bent Spoon, of course, is a reference to Yuri Geller. I get him mixed up with some of the cosmonauts. From the early Soviet space race. (laughs) That's fair, I guess. Yuri Geller was an Israeli 
British television host, author, and entertainer who claimed that he could bend spoons with his brain. And he was on Carson. He, yeah. As well, well, that's one yeah. of the reasons why James Randi was so excited to be on Carson. Oh. Like, scootle scoot. Yeah. <laughs> Nuh-uh. No. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) So the winner of the Bent Spoon Award should either be an Australian or have carried out their activities in Australia. The first winner was in 1982, and that was Tom Wards, also sometimes referred to as Tom Ward, who advertises himself as an internationally famous clairvoyant. He has a problem and answer column in the Australian Post and makes regular political and social predictions, kind of like this actress will get pregnant in the next year or something like oh, that. Okay, all right. Though historically doesn't have a great record. Anyway, sometimes uh, it's not a person specifically who wins the award. For example, in 1993, the show Tonight Live on Channel 7 won the award. Hmm. And in 1991, Women's Day magazine won the award for its coverage in support of the paranormal, in particularly astrology. Last year's winner was United Australia Party MP Craig Kelly, and he was chosen for spreading misinformation about COVID and vaccinations. <laughs> now, I, I find to be very interesting because, you know, I love a skeptic. Mm-hmm. I also love it when things are proven to be true. I just I like proof. That's where you and I differ. <laughs> You're kind of mad on proof. Yeah. Yeah. The award is a piece of gopher wood, supposedly from Noah's Ark. (laughs) And upon that has been affixed a spoon rumored to have been used at the Last Supper. That spoon was allegedly bent by energies unknown to science and then gold-plated by an Atlantean process. Wow. Yes. That sounds valuable. It sure is. Now, there has been a winner every year of the Bent Spoon Award since 1982, except for 1988. There was no winner awarded that year. I don't know what happened. Anyway, but only one trophy exists because the rule is anyone wishing to acquire the trophy must remove it from our keeping, meaning the uh, Australian skeptics keeping, Mm -hmm. by paranormal means. And no winner has yet overcome that obstacle. So it still remains with Australian skeptics. That's a great way to not have to pay a prize, too. But with $20,000 as the prize, it uh, it just lends so much more credibility, I think. Well, it's, the prize is $100,000, and you don't have to get it with your brain. They will hand it to you if you can prove something. Well, then they should say a million, but you have to get it with your brain. <laughs> you like that better? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> something that sounds big and full. Sure. About a million dollars, even though... There's something very Dr. Evil about what you're saying right now. (laughs) (laughs) One million (laughs) dollars. Anyway, um, I just thought that the Bent Spoon Award was hilarious, and I wanted to share it with you. And so that's how we got to that. I got my information from The Guardian, from Wikipedia, obviously, academic.org, and finchmagician.com, who referenced to Chris Angel at one point on their website um, as the vanilla ice of magicians. (laughs) I love Chris Angel. Yeah. I just really wanted to find a way to include that. Want to welcome our latest supporters on Patreon, latest members inducted into the Order of Freaks, Ray. 
Catherine and Diana. We appreciate your support. And if you would like to become a member of the Order of Freaks and get your Box of Oddities episodes ad-free and a day early and lots of other things, Zoom meetings, we do all kinds of fun stuff over on Patreon. You can find a link at our website, theboxofoddities.com. And it has been asked of us before, if you want to share your Patreon account with those in your household, yes, that's okay. You know, we don't expect a couple to each get their own Patreon account. And so, (laughs) though I appreciate your asking, it's very sweet. (laughs) It's very sweet. Um, Please, please don't do that. I mean, of course you can do that, but don't feel like you have to. Don't beg people to not give us money. I'm just saying you don't have to. Okay, I'm with you on that one. But regardless, we love hanging out with you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Eduardo, Eduardo de Valfierno. This delights me, by the way. De Valfin, de Valif. I'm the happiest I've ever been. Val, Valfierno. <laughs> All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.